mind you can share this with your friends by just hitting the share button and sending it on and others can join us to worship also. I hope you're there in your home or wherever you are with a Bible handy and I would encourage you to turn with me if you would to the 13th Psalm, Psalm 13. The title of the message as I put out last week is, is it wrong to say how long, O Lord? Is it a sin to question? Is it a sin to be worried about thinking about the situations? I love the quote that Pastor Ricky said earlier in his prayer that our, our problem many times is that we dwell on our circumstances and just glance toward God. But we need to learn to gaze upon God and His goodness and His holiness and glance at the circumstances every now and then and, and just move on with our prayer life. That's kind of what the psalmist does in Psalm 13 when David writes this. I'm going to read it and then we'll talk about it a bit. So follow along with me in your Bibles if you have them with you. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of our God and our Lord. You know, as the psalmist writes here, he, he really does three different things in this passage that are so important for us to see. If you start out reading this, and if you stop with just verses 1 and 2, you would assume that David was in utter and total despair because he is weary. And I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian now for about 55 years or so. And in those 55 years, there have been times when I'm weary. There have been times when I've cried out to God and said, God, why is this happening? Why is this going on? Not why is it happening to me, because certainly uh, I'm not exempt from anything like that, but, but why? As we look around our world right now and see this pandemic that's spreading across the earth, there, there, it's a natural thing to say, Lord, why? How long, O oh Lord, is this going to go on? We have to admit, we are a generation and we are a people who have become quite comfortable. We don't worry about viruses and worry about bacteria and worry about diseases because we've got vaccinations and, and we've got things that we can turn to. And many times God uses pestilence and plague, he has throughout all of history, to turn our attention back to him, to quit gazing upon circumstances and start gazing upon him. The psalmist says here, how long, O Lord? And he laments. It's a word you don't hear used a lot in our churches these days. We don't want to talk about lament. We want to talk about celebration. We want to talk about rejoicing. We want to talk about praising. And all those are great words and great things that we need to do. But the truth of the matter is, lament, sorrow, is, a really, is really a major part, especially of the Psalms, but of the Bible as a whole. 
the Bible is not some kind of happy, slappy uh, life that, he, that, that God says we're going to have because we're in Christ. We, we will have trouble sometimes, and the Scriptures are very clear about that. It, it seems that in these first two verses, David is really struggling and having trouble with three different things. First of all, with God. How long, O oh Lord? How long will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? Now, some might say David is complaining there. David is grumbling there. We know the Scripture is very clear. We're not to be grumblers. The Apostle Paul said to the Philippian Christians, you know, pray about everything. Don't grumble about anything. Don't be grumblers. And yet, sometimes we tend to be. So, so what's the difference in grumbling and lamenting? There is a great difference. And I think the, part, the, the difference comes in our position and our posture as individual believers. Are we crying out to God in humility? Or are we crying out to God in pride? David is definitely crying out in humility here. He's just simply trying to entreat the Lord and, and say, Lord, I'm struggling and I'm hurting. He's not saying, Lord, how long are you going to do this? I don't deserve this. I think David understood his sinfulness. We know he did from Psalm 51. David understood who he was, but he also knows who God is. And so he's crying out to God, Lord, how long? Just help me understand what's going on. So he's having trouble with God here, but he's also having trouble with himself. You know, he said, how long must I take counsel in my soul? I'm talking to myself, Lord, but I'm not getting very good answers. We live in a day that says, oh, just look within. Just trust your heart. Just follow your heart and everything will be all right. But David recognized, as we need to recognize, that the heart is an evil and deceitful thing. And it can lead us down some really bad paths. And so, and so David said, Lord, I, I have a problem with, with me because I'm giving myself bad counsel in these situations. And then I have trouble with my enemies. I know that there are those who would love to mock you, God, because of my life. And they would like to drag me down. They would like to destroy me. They'd like to be exalted over me. Lord, I have a problem with, with you. I have a problem with self. And I have a problem with enemies. I, I, I feel an absence of God, an anxiety of soul, and a supremacy of the enemy. And, and you bundle all those together, and that's serious trouble. William Cowper, the the great hymn writer once said in one of his hymns that behind every frowning providence is the fatherly, smiling face of God. I think we look right now and we see that it is a frowning providence that's covering our world and covering our nation. But we as believers need to look behind that frowning providence and recognize that there is the smiling face of a, of a loving Father, a loving God who is sovereign, who is ruling, and who is reigning. So, so faith will know weariness. You don't have to worry about that just because you're struggling right now with anxiety. But I, tr I, I trust that in your anxiety, you will turn your attention toward Christ, turn your attention toward the cross, turn your attention toward the promises that are found in God's Word to endure with you through this. I mentioned earlier in the week that back when I was a young youth pastor back in the 70s, the 1970s, uh, I remember our music director picked up on one of Paul, Simon and Garfunkel's songs 
bridge over troubled waters. And someone had turned it into an anthem, and our choir sang it as a choir anthem. And, and the idea was that God is our bridge over troubled waters. But I tend to think that's not very theologically sound. I think the promises of the Word is never that God will get us, carry us over the troubles, the troubled waters, the problem times. But the promise of God's Word is no matter where you go, no matter what you do, I am with you. If you're going through the storms, if you're going through the rivers, the troubled waters, I'm there with you to be your strength, to be your guide, and to be your protection. So faith will know weariness. And faith even will know some anxiety, as David illustrates in those first two verses. But I want you to see what verses 3 and 4 do. Because David immediately goes from lamenting to praying. Now, you almost look at that and you could think, David, wait, what are you doing? You're just saying God has forgotten you. You're worried about how long God's hidden his face from you. And now you say, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. He immediately moves into prayer. One writer said what he's doing here is he's saying his words, but his instinct drives him to God because he is a child of God. That ought to be our instinct. It ought to be to drive us to God even when we're crying out in lament. One of my heroes of the faith, if you know me at all, you know this. If you don't know me, you're about to learn it is Charles Haddon Spurgeon of England, a great pastor in the 1800s, preached to thousands and thousands of people and, and was very influential in many people coming to Christ and many people being renewed. I like a story that he told once that came out of his first pastorate. Before he ever went to London, when he was pastoring at Water Beach, a very small rural area, and he was in his early 20s, and, and he talks about a lady in his church. He referred to her in his autobiography as Mrs. Much Afraid. That's sort of a Pilgrim's Progress illusion there. Mrs. Much Afraid. She was always doubting and fretting over her spiritual condition, though she had been a believer for over 50 years, Spurgeon said. And she showed all the fruit of genuine, true faith. Uh, she was faithful in worship. She was faithful in stewardship. She was helpful to her neighbors. She was willing to speak the gospel to the unconverted, Spurgeon said. And one day they were talking. And Mrs. Much Afraid talked about how she, she declared that she had no hope, no faith, and feared that she was a hypocrite. So Spurgeon, in the way that only he could, told her, then please quit coming to church. We don't want any hypocrites there. Now, she was taken aback by that, and he said, Well, tell me, why do you come to church? Why do you come to worship week after week? Why do you care for people? Why do you minister to people? And she re replied, I come because I cannot stay away. I come because I love the people of God. I love the house of God. I love to worship God. Spurgeon assured her that she was certainly some odd sort of hypocrite, if that's the way she was. As the conversation moved on, he said, I tell you what, he reached in and pulled out his wallet and he said, I have five pounds here, that's all the money I've got, but I will give you five pounds for the hope that you do have. She looked at him rather 
quizzically, evidently quite puzzled, and said, why, I would not sell what hope I do have for a thousand worlds, much less five pounds. And after relating that conversation, Spurgeon gave this editorial comment. He said, she had just told me that she had no hope for salvation, yet she would not sell it for 1,000 worlds. In short, her instincts assumed what her words denied. Is that, is that not where we find ourselves many times? We say we, we don't know why God's doing this, and we don't. We don't understand what God's doing, and we don't. We know He's doing something. And yet our instinct, even though our words may seek to sound as though they're denying, our instinct is to turn to Him in prayer. That's exactly what David did. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. Or my enemy may say, I prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Now, we just sang a, a hymn from the Psalm 62 where David says, I'll not be shaken. Though the earth quakes, though the rivers rise, though the world around me falls apart, I'll not be shaken. Why will I not be shaken? Because God is still on his throne. Because God has not forgotten us, nor left us, nor will he forsake us, no matter what, if we belong to him. So David goes from lamenting to praying. Oh, that I would that you today would move from worrying and anxiety and, and overly concern to praying to seeking his face, to saying what David says here, light up my eyes. Oh, Lord, my God, light up my eyes. Give me spiritual enlightenment. I know what all the news shows are saying. I know what all the commentators are writing. I know that fear and doom is right before us, and it's probably not as bad as the fear and doom people say it is, nor is it as good as those who are kind of happy-go-lucky say it is. It's somewhere in the middle. But no matter where it is, I urge you to look to the one who can deliver us and deliver you individually through Jesus Christ, his son. So David says, I lament and then I pray. And then finally, in verses 5 and 6, David says, a confession of faith. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Wait a minute, David. Verses 1 and 2, how long, O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? And Now he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He has blessed me beyond anything I can imagine. He has... He has lightened my eyes. I've trusted in your steadfast love. David here just shows us that the anchor of faith holds when our focus is upon the Lord. You know, when we look around, we say, well, what brought on this virus? And someone will be very specific about why it came, and you can tune into a thousand people who will tell you exactly why it's happening. If you tuned in here today, to understand why it's happening in a very specific sense, I can't tell you that. 
I, I don't have that answer because I'm not him. I'm not God. But I can tell you this. There would be no viruses. There would be no pestilence. There would be no plagues. There would be no earthquakes. There wouldn't be no hurricanes and on and on and on we could go if sin were not in the world. Our parents, our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to disobey God and sin. And when they did, they brought sin into the world that has been passed down generation to generation to generation, and all sinned. We all sinned because we are sinners. And, and it's a part of our DNA. It's a part of our nature to do that. And the world went chaotic. Various times in history, more chaotic than others. And granted, we're in a chaotic one right now. But the truth is, God said, in all the chaos, I will make a way for restoration. And the scripture tells us that just the right time, Jesus came into the world. At just the right time, God sent his son into the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish by coronavirus or anything else, ultimately and eternally, should not perish, but should have eternal life, all who believe. I tell you today, the offer of the gospel is there for you to hear, that you just put your trust in Christ. Paul said in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10, we've been preaching through Romans over the last four years, and in Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you shall be, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. What a great promise. There's not a formula that you have to go through. There's not a certain amount of works you have to do. There's not rituals you have to pass through. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. What does that mean? Well, Paul dealt with that earlier in verse 1 of chapter 8 of Romans. He said this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who confess with their mouth, those who believe in their heart, they will be saved. And there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say... There's no condemnation in five years when you work really hard and become a good Christian. He doesn't say there's just a little bit of condemnation left that you've got to work out. But he basically says if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You don't have any righteousness of your own. But he said to the Corinthian Christians, He who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin on the cross, bore our sin, so that we who do not have any righteousness, we who are sinners, might become the very righteousness of God. That's a mind-blowing concept. That is a concept that you ought to be shouting at your computer screen if you're a believer, amen, praise God. That is an absolute truth. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're secure because you're in His hands and He is protecting you 
And he is caring for you every single day. I hope you can say the confession that David says in these verses. I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I trust in you, Lord. And thus I'll not be shaken and I will not fear. I will praise you all the days of my life. And I will dwell in your house forever. I don't usually do product placement in my sermons. But I want to recommend something to you. There's a book that Paul David Tripp wrote entitled A Shelter in the, in, in the Time of Storm. It, it's subtitled Meditations on God and Trouble. Uh, you can get that just about anywhere you can get a book, electronically or hard copy. But I would urge you to get it. It's based on Psalm 27. And just all through that, he talks about God's protection, which Psalm 27 talks about clearly. I want to read you one excerpt from that. I want you to hear this. This is from his book, A Shelter in the Time of Storm. And it's based on Psalm 27.5, which says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, and he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Hear what Paul David Tripp says about that verse. I am safe not because I have no trouble or because I never experience danger. I am safe not because people affirm me or my plans always work out. I am safe not because I am immune from disease, and I would add or virus or coronavirus, or free of the potential for poverty. I am safe not because I am protected from disappointment or separated from this fallen world. I am safe not because I am wise or strong. I am safe not because I deserve comfort or have earned my ease. I am safe not because of money or power or position or intellect or who I know or where I live. I am safe because of the glorious mystery of grace. Hear that. I am safe because of the glorious mystery of grace. I am safe because of the presence of boundless love. I am safe because of divine mercy, divine wisdom, divine power, and divine grace. I am safe not because I never face danger, but because you are in it with me. You have not given me a ticket out of danger. You have not promised me a life of ease. You have chosen to place me in a fallen world. I am safe because you have given me the one thing that is the only thing that will ever keep me safe. You have given me you. Hear that? He has given himself to us. I am safe from my evil heart and this shattered world, not because I can escape them both, but because in the middle of temptation and trial, danger and disappointment, sickness and want, you give me everything I need to fight the temptation and to avoid defeat 
and to point others to the safety that can be found only in you. So I will wake up tomorrow and face the anxiety of not knowing the fear of my own weaknesses and the reality of the fall. I will live with faith, courage, perseverance, and hope. And when danger comes, and it will come, I will whisper to my weakening heart, Emmanuel is your shelter. You are safe. Emmanuel, the name given to Christ that means God is with us. And so during this time of crisis, during this time of unknown and anxiety, and yes, even fear, during this time, I challenge you to look for your safety and your security in Christ alone. I urge you to consider the claims of Christ, that He is God incarnate, the Son of God, come to earth to be our Savior and to rule and to reign forever. I invite you to Christ. You're looking at this from many of you from hundreds of miles away. I don't invite you to Grace Baptist Church. There's no salvation in the church. I don't invite you to me. I can do nothing for you except point you to the one who is the Savior. To point you to his cross. Where on that cross, he was our substitute bearing our sin. He was our sacrifice, paying the price of that sin, that we might know Him. You know, we think a lot about the term eternal life. When Jesus prayed for you and me in the garden before His crucifixion, in John, 15, uh, John 17, rather, Jesus said these words, I pray for them, and I pray that they have eternal life, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true and living God. We can know God, the creator of everything there is. We can know God, the sustainer of this whole universe. We can know God, the one who reigns on his throne eternally forever and ever because we can know him through his son, Jesus Christ. I invite you to Christ today. I invite you to trust him. And, and while you're not here and we can't offer a, a hymn of commitment or a, a call to Christ in person, I encourage you, if you're trusting Christ today, if you're putting your faith in Him, write us on this Facebook page. Send us a message through our Facebook page. Or, or go to our website, which you'll find on that Facebook page, and send us a message there. Or call us. We would love to talk to you. We would love to get you in touch with a church where you live that preaches the gospel, believes the gospel, and believes that our God reigns. These are uncertain times, but we have the certainty that He who is our Savior is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That while we may change and the world may change, He never changes. Would you pray with me? And Father, we bow this morning acknowledging that you are king of all creation. 
You are the sovereign ruler of your earth and your universe. Lord, we suffer. We hurt. We struggle. But Lord, as, as has been said, we believe. But help us in our unbelief. Help us when Satan seeks to tempt us to not believe you, to believe him like Eve did. that She would become like God. Oh, we all want to be like God. Help us when we're tempted to trust our own devices. Help us put our absolute trust in you. Father, we praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen.